She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to today's episode. And I'm so excited to have a very good friend of mine. Her name is Autumn Smith of paleovalley.com with us. And we are going to be talking about all kinds of health things today. We're going to be talking about vitamin C. We're going to be talking about animal products, alkaline water. We've got a slew of exciting stuff to talk with you about. So Autumn, welcome. Thank you, Chantel. Always fun to connect with you. Um, I just love your message and your mission. So glad to be here. Well, let's talk about how you became so passionate about high quality food and why food quality is just so important to you. Yes. Well, basically, because my whole life I had received the message that it was just about calories, that the quality of the food didn't really matter. And as a young ballerina, I was very diligent and counting calories and doing all the things, but um, my health started to deteriorate around the age of 10. Digestive issues um, were the first to show up. And then when doctors didn't really have a solution for me, mental health issues started to come to fruition as well, because we now know there's that gut brain link, but we didn't know at the time. And uh, I just felt anxious and my stomach hurt and life was unpredictable. And so in order to manage that, because psychiatric meds didn't work and you know, we didn't have digestive aids. I started leaning on substances and, you know, everything I could get my hands on to kind of help me to relax. And I just kind of suffered in silence for a while. And then I got kicked out of my parents' house when, before I even graduated high school, it was bad. It was really, really bad. And I still did what I could to, you know, have a dance career, become a personal uh, fitness trainer in Los Angeles. But when I met my husband, he really saw what was actually going on behind the scenes, behind the smile. And uh, we decided to try and do something about it. Uh, and we changed my diet. And because we saw a few people in the little corner of the internet back in 2007, were using diet to treat digestive issues, which at the time was kind of a novel concept. Now we understand it very clearly. But uh, it was such a powerful transformation for me. Uh, I went from, you know, I didn't have digestive issues within 30 days of the change. My mental health stabilized. And I've just become so passionate about sharing the power that we have when we choose what is on our fork, um, because I felt so hopeless for so long around that. Well, I want to talk about natural vitamin C versus synthetic ascorbic acid. And is there a difference? And what is the difference? Yeah, great question. So yeah, this is just one of those pieces of food quality, right? We know from epidemiological research that whole foods Fruits and vegetables are very, very good for us, right? There's a lot of research to suggest that. But I think what has happened is we've focused in on certain molecules like ascorbic acid, which is really not the whole food compound of vitamin C, but it's just the antioxidant outer shell. And people have found out how to manufacture it at scale in order, in other words, very cheaply um, from genetically modified corn, rather than using lemons and limes and oranges, like we'd think our vitamin C comes from. And the problem with that is 
A, you're supporting the production of genetically modified organisms and B, you're kind of missing out on the other compounds like tyrosinase and rutin and bioflavonoids and all of these other cofactors that work with the vitamin C antioxidant, antioxidant outer shell, ascorbic acid to produce different effects in the body. And so 99% of vitamin C on the market, if you go get a supplement, you're going to flip it around. You're going to see that it's ascorbic acid. It's derived from genetically modified corn, this highly processed um. Uh, product. And it also doesn't contain all of the whole food molecules. So my thing is, I think that if you can't afford any vitamin C, or if you can't get it in your diet, ascorbic acid is better than nothing. I will never argue that it's not. I still think it can be beneficial if you can't source a whole food uh, vitamin C. But if you can, there is research to suggest that whole food vitamin C offers benefits, uh, specifically in reducing inflammation. They did a trial where there were smokers and they either had them drink Camu Camu juice or they took the ascorbic acid like most people find in the pharmacy. And only the Camu Camu juice, which contains natural vitamin C, was able to reduce inflammation and oxidative stress, whereas the ascorbic acid was not. So what I'm saying, basically they're processed very differently. They look differently in the body. And sometimes researchers suggest they actually lead to differing health benefits. Mm. Well, if you guys go to chantelrayway.com and click things I love, the very first thing I have is the Paleo Valley vitamin C because it's it's one of the best products that I, I think it's my favorite product that you guys have. And, um, honestly, I'm out of it right now. And I literally got like a little bit, I don't get sick very often, but I got a little bit of a cold and I was like sniffling and I was like, it's because I'm not taking my vitamin C, you know? So it's definitely a big deal. And, um, I really suggest that you guys do that. So it's on chantalrayway.com. Click on things I love and it's the very first product. But let's talk about what is the day in the life of Autumn Smith? Like what is your eating like? Because I now I said to you, I'm like, you're looking like extra, extra, extra thin. You've always been so thin, but I feel like you look um, even more thin than normal. Um, so what does a day in the life look like? Like, what do you eat? When do you start eating? What does your fasting schedule look like at all? Oh, thank you um, for saying that and giving me an opportunity because I loved talking about fasting as you do. And what I've learned recently is that I have to pair it with my cycle. So I'll talk to my, my diet in a second, but basically when my period starts or cycle starts, I'll do a, like one 24 hour fast. And that means I stop eating on Sunday night and I don't eat again until Monday night. And I don't do a lot of those fasts. I just get one or two in every cycle. And it's always in the very beginning of my cycle. Um, and then probably the second week I do 16 hour fasts. And after ovulation, when you're wanting to build progesterone, I kind of lay off the fasting and I do 14 hour fasts. And then my last, um, right before my cycle, I do 12 hour fasts. And what I notice is when I do it that way, it doesn't seem so monotonous. And I also love fasting longer periods, but also love not having to do it right around my cycle. And so I give myself that grace and that freedom. And it just allows me to go through phases like we're designed to do anyway. So I love doing that. 
And so when I'm fasting, obviously I'm fasting, but when I um, break my fasts, I'm always eating really high quality protein. I think it's really um, undervalued and underutilized by a lot of women today, but I try and get at least a hundred grams of protein in my diet every single day. And I also do a daily green shake. People that I know make fun of me because it smells not great, but it's like, I literally take my blender and I have as many greens, romaine and cucumbers and spinach and kale, and, you know, a little, maybe half of a lemon and I'll do egg yolks and a a really high quality protein powder, maybe some blueberries, but it's very green heavy. And I drink this every single day. I also do a lot of other vegetables and, um, probably some fish at the end of the day, like a high quality salmon and a salad. And when I'm, and maybe some dark chocolate, um, but Basically, it's really high quality protein. It's fruits, it's vegetables, it's the occasional, you know, uh, grain or oat, uh, gluten free for me for sure. And sometimes I even put dairy in the mix, but dairy will make my nose run eventually. And so I know I have to keep it out. You know, it's like, it's an occasion for me, Uh, but I try and be as whole food based as possible. But around my cycle, when I'm not, I don't beat myself up or I just kind of have what I want. And um, I don't I don't really worry about it. But every day basically is a whole foods style template now that I've made this transition about 10 years ago. Um, So basically, that's what I'm eating. Hey guys, I want to tell you about a product that I'm completely obsessed with right now. It's called Buy Optimizers, and one of them is called Magnesium Breakthrough. And the reason why I love it so much is because it has all seven forms of magnesium in one bottle. It literally upgrades virtually every function in your body, like helps you with your sleep, helps you with stress, which I'm under a lot of stress right now, working a lot. And then the second one is called Masszymes, and it's a really potent enzyme blend for digestive function. And so we literally did a test with this. It was so cool with steak. And then we put the masszymes in there and it literally broke down the steak. So if you're like getting tired after you're eating, you need this because it will optimize your digestion and really help you with absorption and absorbing those nutrients. So I have really good news. If you go to magbreakthrough.com slash Chantel Ray, that's magbreakthrough.com slash Chantel Ray, you will get a discount code. You've got to try it. I love it. I made two recipes this last couple weeks. One is a creamy vegan carrot soup. Um, It's with a parsley pastu. And then one is a cauliflower soup. I have to get you these recipes. They are like my favorite. So if you go to the intermittent fasting and OMAD group that we have, join our Facebook group and you guys will see those recipes there. But those two with the cauliflower soup, you can either make it vegan or you can add chicken. I add chicken because I definitely need that extra protein in there. Um, But talk to us a little bit about um, what kind of animal products, like what are you looking for when you're looking for that high quality animal products that's not too expensive? What, where are you, what's your go-to? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I want to be clear in that. Like I'm a real advocate of high quality animal products, but I do think that 
any animal products in your diet for most people is better than getting rid of animal products because you can't afford to eat the best and eating carbohydrates or processed foods instead. But when I'm looking for animal products, um, it's actually this very question that led us to found our second company called Wild Pastures because I want 100% grass fed and grass finished because cows can be raised in a way that actually restores the health of the environment. Um, but that doesn't, you know, it's not all grass fed cows are, are raised that way, but there's regenerative practices. And then also the more diverse the forage that a cow consumes, research has shown the higher the levels of nutrients in some respects, especially like omega-3 fatty acids, but also there's a, a plethora of what we call secondary compounds that are anti-diabetic and anti-inflammatory. Anyway, you're basically going to get a fuller range of nutrients in high quality animal products. And there is some research to suggest, or a theory at least, that these secondary compounds impact satiety. And so it could be the fact that most of our animal products don't have them, that we feel like we need to eat more and more. So you might be satiated with less. And so beef is grass-fed and grass-finished, raised in regenerative ways and humanely. And then of course, Pork is pastured pork. Most conventional pork has an omega-6 to omega-3 fatty acid ratio of about 30 to 1, which is very, very inflammatory. And so when you find the right type of pig and then you feed them forage, even if you're going to supplement with grain, which basically you have to do anyway, you can still improve the omega-3 to omega-6 to 3 fatty acid ratio. And then for chickens, I like pastured chicken. There's just so many different like cage-free, free range. They can still be raised indoors in confinement. Basically, they're not necessarily out on pasture and um, vegetarian fed is kind of another mark tricky marketing label because chickens want to eat bugs and worms and protein. And when they're outside foraging, they can. And so there are nutritional differences. There are differences in the impact for the environment. And of course, you know, if you're eating conventionally raised products, they're probably not humanely handled. Um, but like you said, cost can be a big factor for people. So what we did at Wild Pastures, we, we connected with all the regenerative farmers in America that we knew, and we brought them together so that we could deliver their really high quality products at a price that is wholesale price that people can actually afford because I think it's sad that people don't believe they can afford high quality animal products uh, that they would like to that align with their values. And so then they have to, you know, vote for something else, essentially when they buy animal products that don't align with their values. So that's wild pastures. So we do wild pastures. That is one great wholesale option. Um, also you can go to somewhere like sprouts. They have really high quality, um, grass fed and finished beef that is far less expensive than I've found almost anywhere else. Um, and you can also connect with your local farmers. I think that's amazing because a lot of times, depending on where you live, people are actually doing great things in your community and in your bioregion. Um, but you just have to get to know these people. Uh, there's a website called eat wild too, that can kind of connect you to the farmers and ranchers who are doing these kinds of practices. All right, let's talk a little bit about alkaline water. And this has been on my heart lately because I feel like you know, I have so many friends and so do you that are health coaches and health professionals and doctors and everything else. And I feel like my friends are in two camps. So half of my health friends, they are just huge fans of alkaline water. And they're like, oh my gosh, you have to have alkaline water. And they're, you know, rah, 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 alkaline water. And the other half, 
really question the validity of alkaline water. And one of the questions that they say is, well, what happens to the alkaline water once it reaches the stomach, which is really highly acidic and having great stomach acid is actually really important because in order to digest food and kill the kinds of bacteria and viruses that come with the food, the inside of our stomach is really, really acidic. Like the pH value is around four. So when we eat food and drink, um, you know, the, if you're eating way too much on a regular basis or right before your meal, if you're chugging down water, 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 which that's terrible to do, which is something that I learned a long time ago where everyone says, don't drink water when you're eating, right? You're supposed to drink water, tons of water before your meal, tons of water after your meal. But when you sit down, you don't want to drink a whole bunch of water because again, why? Because that you don't want that pH value to go up. You want, you want it to have a lot of stomach acid in there so that it can break down any bacteria and viruses that come with the food. So with that being said, you know, people who are not on the camp of the, the alkaline water, they're saying, Hey, we don't want to dilute that stomach acid while we're eating. So what is your opinion and how do you feel about that? Yeah, I think this is such a great question. And because I work with a population a lot of times who have come to me with digestive issues, the interesting thing is there's this misconception that stomach acid is bad, right? We're all taking, you know, Tums and trying to suppress stomach acid because of, um, you know, esophageal reflux disease or GERD or heartburn. But what most people don't understand is we need our stomach acid. And a lot of times heartburn is actually because we have too little stomach acid than because we have too much, like you're saying. So our stomach acid, a pH of around four is where we want our stomach to live is important. Like you said, to break down protein, right? Which a lot of people don't do very well. And especially as you age, um, also kills pathogens, like you said, but in addition, it sets off this chain of uh, events in your pancreas. And it kind of tells the rest of your digestive tract what to do when that acidity is compromised in your stomach, your digestive process, a lot of times doesn't work as well, even thereafter. And so it is my opinion that I don't want to drink alkaline water, especially when I'm eating, because it's going to dilute that stomach acid or require that our body pumps out more stomach acid. When if you just didn't add it, your stomach acid could be at a healthy level and it could just do the job of breaking down your food and keeping out the pathogens um, better than if you were to add alkaline water on top of that. And I know there is some controversy over whether or not it's actually going to affect the pH of your blood anyway. Um, and I'm not an expert in that, in that area, but for me, alkaline water is not something I would recommend. And like you said, I don't recommend drinking a lot of water, especially when you eat anyway, is because of that uh, stomach acid as well. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a lot of us believe that, you know, keeping your body alkaline, right? Like in the sense of eating lots of vegetables and, you know, that sort of thing. I think I, I think I read a study that like having one Coke, like makes your, have you ever heard that? It's like, if you have, I don't drink sodas, I don't, but it's like, if you have one glass of Coca-Cola, it 
makes your body so acidic. I, I need to find out what that, I have to look up what that is, but have you heard of that study that they do that makes your body like continually eating like that makes your body in an acidic environment that causes disease and so forth. So that's why they quote say, okay, we'll drink this alkaline water to make your body overall more alkalinic. Yeah, it's funny because I think that there's, it's just kind of divided in, there are some people and practitioners who I really respect that are using like um, pH tips for the urine, assessing your urine's pH, right? And I think there can be value in that and certain practitioners have found value in that. But in terms of like changing the pH of your blood, at least from what I've read and understand, it's a very difficult thing to do. So do we want to eat alkaline foods? Absolutely. Fruits, vegetables, there is a healthy body of literature to suggest those foods have a lot of value in improving our health. But what I'm not sure is that it's because it's creating a more alkaline situation in your body and that meat production, you know, eating meat and eating processed foods is bad because it creates a more acidic environment in the body. I'm not totally convinced of that. And I think if you look at like people doing a carnivore diet or populations around the world, like the Maasai of Africa, who are consuming a predominantly animal-based diet, who have really great health. I think that runs counter to that sort of hypothesis. And so for me, I'm, I'm not really convinced of that, but I do think fruits and vegetables and alkaline foods have value, but do I think that we need to add water to uh, bring that alkalinity up? I, 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 don't, I don't think so, not in my opinion. I want you to talk a little bit more because I loved what you said about fasting around your menstrual cycle and you really kind of change your fasting depending on where you are in your cycle. So I want you to kind of expand a little bit more talking about the progesterone because I think, so just so you know, I take actually um, a low dose progesterone cream because in general, my progesterone is very low. So I actually take some, but I feel, I feel so much better when, um, you know, my progesterone levels are where they need to be. So talk about how your, your fasting schedule works a little bit more with the menstrual cycle. Yeah. Great question. And I kind of use my menstrual cycle as like a, a fifth vital sign, right? So the length can increase and decrease. And, and when it decreases, you know, over the course of a few months, I start thinking, uh Oh, you know, my levels of progesterone are on the decline, right? Which I don't want because progesterone keeps us healthy and it's like an anti-aging and it keeps us nice and calm. We want progesterone to balance out estrogen for a healthy cycle. And after we ovulate, which is kind of halfway a midpoint for a lot of women in our cycle, our body is going to create this um, corpus luteum where it's going to produce progesterone. But if we don't have the building blocks, if we're not eating enough, if we're too stressed, if we are fasting too much, our body is going to sense danger uh, and that we we won't want to we won't find that it's a good good idea to procreate in other words to create another life right so our progesterone production can go on the decline so what i do is i cut my fasting down significantly after i know that i've ovulated and i wear an aura ring so i can actually see the increase in my body temperature by about a half degree and i also have middle schmerz which is like kind of like a little pain so you know you're ovulating you can also look for i don't know how <laughs> 
is this is TMI, but like a sticky, like egg white fluid. Um, you, you often have like this, uh, increase in testosterone right before ovulation. So you're feeling a little more randy or you're looking at your partner in a different sort of way. It's, it's, those are signs that you're ovulating. So typically around day 14, then I will stop, stop fasting for very long periods of time. I often bring it to about 14 hours a day for that first week. And, um, and I actually increase my carbohydrate, my healthy carbohydrate intake there as well by, you know, maybe about a hundred calories a day of like more potatoes, sweet potatoes, more fruit, whatever I'm kind of craving. And then when it comes to the week before my cycle, I used to try and white knuckle it so that I would really, uh, you know, do my fasting. But what I realized is it's just really hard and it's hard for a reason. Your basal metabolic rate is elevated at that point in your cycle and your body just wants abundance, right? And that doesn't mean you need to over overeat, but I feel like eating regularly and letting your body know it's safe and there's food and things are predictable and the environment is healthy. That's going to help build uh, progesterone and just um, keep your cycle really nice and healthy. But I love the benefits of the longer fast sometimes too, especially for my mental health or, and my brain function and clarity. Um, but I always keep those on day one, two, three, four, day one to seven of my cycle will be my longer fasts. Day seven to 14 will be my 16 hour fast, 14 and then 12. And that's how I've done it. But I'd be interested. Yeah. Do you do something similar? Yeah, I do. Um, so for like, if you break it down and so day one through seven is called the, they say is the menstrual cycle. Then the follicular phase is day eight through 14. And that's when I, for me that between day five and day 14, I can do longer fasts. Um, and then the, when, the, when you start ovulating the, that starts at day 14 is that phase between day 15 to 21. I'm kind of, I, I do less of fasting. And then the week right before my period, it's like, I all, I always know I'm just eating more. I mean, I'm just hungry. <laughs> like, yeah. just, like you know, I'm gonna, I don't ever really eat more than an eight hour window. I don't even, I wouldn't even say more than a seven hour. Like my eating window is usually seven hours, but when I'm not, um, when I'm in, you know, like my follicular phase of, you know, somewhere day five, usually day five to day 14, I'm, I'm fine to do longer fasts. Um, but yeah, it's really like, if you kind of want to make it real simple day one through day 15 or, or 14 are the easiest, easier times to do longer fasts or anything like that. At once day 14 comes, it starts getting, you know, harder to do that. And then even like the week before, just don't even. I, I definitely am not doing a long fast. <laughs> Isn't that kind of liberating? That's my favorite thing about it is like, it doesn't need to be a rigid sort of thing. And you don't need to always be white knuckling it. You can listen and still have a fasting lifestyle, uh, which I love. Yes, absolutely. Hey guys, I really want you to join our Intermittent Fasting and OMAD Facebook group. We're doing tons of giveaways right now for posting your before and after pictures and just for posting a question in there. We're giving away free protein shakes, some digest aid, all kinds of fun stuff. So please join our Intermittent Fasting and OMAD Facebook group. The link is in the show notes. So let's talk a little bit about... Um, 
what you do that kind of keeps you really as thin as possible. Let's say you've gained like five pounds and you say, you know, now it's time for me to kind of dial it back in. Cause we're seeing a lot of people who's like, you know, I've lost some weight. I've, I've kind of gained about five to 10 pounds and I need to kind of get that back off. So what would you suggest to people that would say, I'm a little fluffier than I'd like. It's time for me to, you know, get myself zhuzhed back up as I like to say. I love that. Judge. Okay. What I would start with is, um, do you ever use chronometer? Mm-mm. Okay. It's this really cool free software that you can like put in your daily meals and it'll tell you not only your carbs and fat and all that and calories, but also all of your other micronutrients. And so I like to just have people drop a pin, right? Because if you're not, if you don't know how many carbs you're having or how many grams of protein, or if you're missing other important nutrients, then it's hard to know where to go. Right. So take three days out of your life, do that exercise as annoying as it might be, because it'll give you a lot of really great information. Um, and so if I do that, because I don't count every day, I don't track all the time and I'll get on vacations or whatever. And then I'll just need to be okay, I need to come back and um, refocus. So I start there. And if if I find that I'm eating more carbohydrates than my body tolerates, which is, you know, about hundred grams, I'll start bringing it down. The easiest way to do that is to increase protein. So really I like to start with rather than restricting like things I'm adding. And so I add protein. I start snacking on protein. When I wake up in the morning, if I'm starving, then I will have an omelet. I will have really high quality sources of protein because protein is very, very satiating, right? And you're going to need to eat less. So increasing my protein, sometimes dropping my carbohydrates down, depending on where I'm at, definitely adding in some longer fasts. Um, this happened when I went on vacation this summer and I came back and I was just feeling, you know, out of sorts. And so I did start doing two 24 hour fasts. And I, that's only like, I, you, like you do, I'm sure you talk about all this time, all the time, but Sunday night to Monday night, I'm still eating every day, but I'll add those in, in the beginning of my cycle. Right. And maybe in the second part, I will do 18 hour fast. I definitely increase my fasting window significantly, but also taking control of the food quality piece. I've found that I can have the same amount of calories and eat processed food and my body will hold on to weight in a way that it simply will not when I'm eating whole foods, fruits, vegetables, and protein. So dropping the pin, finding out where I'm at, if I need to increase protein to about hundred grams a day is where I try and live and decrease carbohydrates, increasing my fasting window. And then also sometimes adding more like low level aerobic exercise. I found that as I age, I used to be able to do an hour of cardio a day um, and I would thrive. But now that I'm getting closer to 40, my body wants less of that. In fact, holds on and becomes more stressed when I try and push the exercise um, pedal too far. And so I'll just increase walking, right? Start doing more work on my treadmill desk and things like that. And then lastly, of course, the food quality piece, trying to get as many whole foods as possible. Um, Fruits and vegetables for my particular biochemistry are very important. I found the green shake plus the salad a day is pretty great. That's a pretty great place where I live like seven to eight servings of fruits and vegetables. I know that's not going to be true for everybody. I think I'm uniquely adapted to high vegetable intake, but, but those are probably my five things, um, more protein, less carbs, finding out where I'm living, exercising more, but less intensely and addressing food quality.
I want to talk a little bit about toxins for just a second. And I feel like they're getting worse and worse and worse. But one that I'll talk about that I feel like, you know, when I go to the grocery store, there's something called SLS, which is sodium lauryl sulfate. And it's basically in almost every soap or shampoo or, you know, foaming agent that you see because it's a chemical that's an emulsifier. It's a foaming agent. It's a detergent. And, um, you know, having too much of that is really not good. And so it, you know, it can cause skin issues. It can cause rashes, dandruff, psoriasis, all kinds of different things. Um, and it's, like I said, it's in body washes, hand soaps, mascara. I mean, there's just so many different things. And so it's like one of the things I use is like the Dr. Bronner's, you know, soaps that they don't have it in there. Talk a little bit for us about kind of some of the things that you use or products that you use that don't, it's not loaded with, like, I always say chemical city. It's not just chemical, 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 and you can feel good about it. Yeah. Okay. This is such an important topic, right? Because the amount of chemicals that surround us is like unprecedented. And a lot of times, even if they test them for safety in isolation, they don't test them synergistically. And there are chemicals that actually make us retain weight and our body stores them in our fat. And it's thinking it's protecting us anyway. Some of the things that I do a with my food, you know, I'm very careful about not consuming, you know, vegetable oils and things like that, and just unnecessary ingredients in general. But in terms of personal care products, I use a lot of coconut oil for my lotion. That's a really simple way. I don't do it on my face because if you have acne prone skin, it can be an issue. And it was for me, but I also use something like tallow. Um, there's a lot of really cool companies like fat face. They're making these tallow based products with essential oils and something very, very similar. So I use those. And in terms of like uh, toothpaste, wellness is a really great company started by wellness mama. So I use her toothpaste. They have a remineralizing powder by aura wellness that I love um, that has hydroxyapatite, which helps put the minerals back in your teeth. And then I make my own um, cleaner in our house. And it's really easy just from white vinegar and then um, like one part white vinegar and three parts water, and then whatever essential oil that you want, whatever scent you're kind of feeling that day. And if you use like with a microfiber cloth, it actually can even work on windows and everything. So, um, and also all of my skincare on my face is um, from a place called Clove Hill. And it's a very natural and more organic uh, skincare line, but there's a lot of skincare lines um, that I use that I recommend because I have to be very careful because of my acne prone skin. But, um, but yeah, those are some of the basic things I do. Let's talk about moving the lymph system for just a second, because one of the things I started doing is rebounding every day and I don't do it for very long. And you're supposed to do it for 20 minutes, but for me, that's just too much to just bounce up and down. But at least if I feel like I can do it for five or 10 minutes, I'm feeling a lot like I'm actually doing something, but, you know, rebounding helps like stimulate all your internal organs and it really helps move the lymph system. And I think we've really kind of haven't emphasized that enough that, you know, the lymph system, it actually like 
so to speak, bathes every cell and it helps carry nutrients to the cell and kind of detoxes the body in such a magical way. So talk about, do you have any kind of routines that you do that help clean out that lymph system? Oh, for sure. And I, I, I do. I love this because like our circulatory system has the heart, which pumps the blood through the veins, like the lymph system is kind of like, okay, this is you, you've got to move and you've got to um, engage in practices that help it clear out. And you can know that you don't maybe have good lymph circulation. If you have a lot of inflammation or if your water, or if you have your sock lines, when you take your pants off, um, you know, if you're just retaining fluid. So what I do is the rebounder. I love it. Like I was trained as a personal trainer by Tracy Anderson. I don't know if you know who she is, but she's wonderful. And she started on the rebounder. So I was doing the rebounder every every day. And what I did to kind of recreate that in my mommy life is to get my son a, um, a trampoline that we jump on in the backyard. It's like mommy sun time. I'm having fun. And I'm actually like moving my lymph. Another way is just uh, massage, right? I found this place where I get massages for 25, $30, which is amazing. And I try and do it every other week at least. And you can also just kind of like do like simple like facial massages. I do that kind of thing in the morning and just move things. There's like facial rollers. Um, even you can do it yourself. Do you know what I mean? Like you can stimulate it. And then there's also something called dry brushing where you have this little brush and you just kind of like brush up and down and you can kind of stimulate it before like your, uh, your shower or whatever, or the sauna or whatever else you're doing and kind of just brush it up, up, up all throughout your body. And kind of it's, it's, it's subtle and it doesn't even need to be this really intense pressure, but it definitely helps, uh, get the lymph stimulated and get things moving through your body. So you can detoxify it. Yeah. I love that. Well, tell listeners where they can find you and where they can follow you. Oh my goodness. Well, paleovalue.com. And we also have wildpastures.com. And then we have, if you're in the Boulder area, we have a new burger place called Wild Pastures Burger Place um, or Burger Company. And then you can always reach out to me at autumn at paleovalley.com. And then I have a podcast just called the Optimized Paleo Podcast as well. So I'd love to hear you from you in any capacity. Love it. Well, you guys stay tuned. We've got another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.